0: You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6.
1: Good evening and thanks for joining us. A Vancouver man is being hailed a hero tonight for what he did during Monday's chaotic Toronto Raptors celebration. Steve Kern fearlessly
2: ran towards the sound of gunshots to help the shooting victims. Kristen Robinson has more on what he did and why those who know him aren't surprised.
3: Here in here. When the Raptors party turned to Panic Monday, a BC man among the first to help the wounded.
4: I heard crack, 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 crack. And I recognized it immediately as gunfire. Uh, About a second and a half later, the crowd turned and started running. But
3: not Steve Kern. When shots were fired near Nathan Phillips Square, the St. John Ambulance volunteer from Vancouver rushed towards the danger zone using his military and
4: medical training to attend to one of four victims. She had a serious head injury, and uh, it, we were working with that. At the same time, uh, so that we could do that job, uh, a lot of Toronto police officers showed up, helped keep the crowd back. They brought in the uh, perimeter fencing and the yellow tape as well as themselves, because we were still in an active shooting situation.
3: Kern, who was on vacation when he stepped in, had just returned from Normandy, France, where he marked the 75th anniversary of D-Day. With 35 years in law enforcement, the sergeant major with the Canadian Armed Forces Reserve didn't hesitate to enter the fray.
4: Training kicks in and you just do what you gotta do.
3: Kern is no stranger to battle. That's him last year on the Surrey Strip, where his award-winning work for St. John Ambulance saved lives. He personally was involved in
5: uh, reversing 48 um, opioid-related overdoses. I think that it's extraordinary people that run toward danger.
3: After his emergency stint in Toronto, Kern's next stop, Ottawa, where he'll be appointed to the Order of St. John on Saturday, A dedication to duty that Kern says comes naturally.
4: It's we the North, uh, St. John Ambulance training and volunteers, a Canadian Armed Forces member, um, and just being a Canadian doing the right thing. Kristen Robinson,
3: Global News.
4: Good for him.
1: Well, more reaction today over Ottawa's controversial second approval of the Trans Mountain Pipeline expansion project. Politicians on all sides are weighing into the debate. But as Richard Zussman reports, while the prime minister vows this time there's no stopping it, others are expressing skepticism.
6: Well, good morning. It's a full court press. Federal ministers spreading out across the country to sell their pipeline approval. This is really about Canada being able to get full value for its resources. We are looking forward to getting this completed. But others aren't so sure. Federal Conservative leader Andrew Scheer rolling out his much-anticipated climate plan on Wednesday. He says the Liberals keep approving the project without actually moving forward while attacking the current carbon tax as a way to address the larger issue of
4: climate change. Canada will not make a meaningful contribution to fighting climate change by focusing only on our own emissions. We must look beyond our borders.
6: Pipelines, climate change and the environment all shaping up to be major issues for this fall's election. And with the charged up campaign already underway, the Liberals are having a hard time finding allies. To be clear, uh, this is not a pipeline that I think that uh, Canada should should own. Trans Mountain hopes to have shovels in the ground by September and oil through a new pipeline by 2022. But lawyers aren't so sure that deadline's realistic, considering the new approval may not withstand legal scrutiny.
7: We have the benefit of history here, and and as we've seen in the last time around, that's exactly what happened. Uh, The legal challenges stopped the project dead in its tracks.
6: There will also be significant protests against the pipeline expansion. First Nations leaders expect that to include renewed blockades on Burnaby Mountain at the pipeline's terminal.
8: British Columbians are deeply committed to protecting the Salish Sea and everything that that represents. We have a
6: fundamental right to to protect those values. And politicians at all levels will be waiting to see how far protesters will go to protect those values. Richard Zussman, Global News.
1: Well, Keith Baldry joins us now from Victoria with more. Keith, Trans Mountain was also talking today. What did they Mm -hmm. have to say about timeline and construction?
9: Yeah, Ian Anderson, the CEO of Trans had a conference call with myself and other reporters this morning. Uh, as Richard says, he's hoping to have shovels in the ground in September, that requires the National Energy Board to basically re-approve the permits that were approved when the, this was basically shut down by the court last year. He does think the NAB will do that, which means construction will begin fairly soon. And it's interesting where the construction will actually begin. I asked him that on that conference call. And it's going to be at a spot where the protesters were very active before, where all those mass arrests were on Burnaby Mountain as well as Edmonton here's Ian Anderson
10: we will be working at the Westridge terminal at the dock as soon as we can that's one of the uh, most critical pieces of work to get uh, restarted so we'll be working at Westridge we'll be working inside the Burnaby terminal uh, preparing for construction there
2: and and the building of the tunnel and then as I said earlier we'll be working on the pipeline spread uh, initially in Alberta
9: So it'll be interesting if those protests materialize, and they certainly will, but will they to the same degree a lot of people have predicted before, if the First Nations consortiums that I talked about last night, Iron Coalition, Project Reconciliation, if they take control of the pipeline as a majority or even as a minority equity holder, that's a game changer and may mute the ability of protesters to basically wage a war against First Nations, arguing that they are engaged in self-determination. Those talks are continuing. I have a feeling that First Nations are going to be owning this pipeline.
1: All right, thanks for that. Keith Baldry and Victoria. Yeah.
2: Happening now, air tankers have been called in to help put out a wildfire burning near Port Mellon along Howe Sound. The B.C. Wildfire Service says two air tankers along with four choppers are working with a pair of initial attack crews on the ground. It's believed the fire was started by a blown B.C. hydro transformer around noon today. Right now, the fire is about two hectares and is burning out of control in an industrial area, about three kilometers south of Port Mellon. At this point, though, no structures are threatened.
1: An unsettling sight for residents of a Burnaby neighborhood this morning. The emergency response team was called out to a home near Duthie Avenue and Ridge Road. Police say they were executing a search warrant in relation to an ongoing break-and-enter investigation. It's not known if any arrests were made.
2: The B.C. Teachers Federation and the school employees have agreed to mediation in an effort to move contract talks forward.
1: Class size and composition are the main sticking points of negotiations, which have been ongoing since April. The B.C. Teachers contract expires at the end of June. The Labour Relations Board appointing David Schaub to mediate the process.
2: I think that's a hopeful sign uh, that both parties... Uh, are looking forward to having some assistance at the bargaining table. Uh, Both parties are saying that they'd like to get a deal done soon, if not by uh, the end of June, uh, sometime early in the summer. And uh, we're on a course to do that now. A Saanich woman running a roadside jam stand has lost her battle to keep it open, at least for now. Ever since word spread about her little project, customers have loved it. Neighbors, not so much. But Kylie Stanton explains why the city says... It's against the rules and why there still may be some hope it survives. Huge big seller is Raspberry Blackberry.
5: It's been tough keeping up with the demand. We've spent most of the day just running back and forth with buckets of jam. But Catherine Little is enjoying it while she can. Our closing date is June 22nd at midnight. That will be a year almost to the day Little has been operating her roadside stand, selling jams, salsa, even fresh fruit. But last month it hit a sour note with at least three of her neighbours and municipal bylaw officers took action on the complaints. This is our evidence
11: package that we put together. Together in just a little over 30 days,
5: despite collecting hundreds of letters of support and a petition of signatures, it's just after The acting mayor and council decided Monday they would not grant an exemption.
11: It's disappointing that they wouldn't
5: even entertain any co- like a conversation about it.
12: You know, I, I fully support this.
5: Instead, Saanich unanimously agreed to a review of its bylaws governing what can be sold from residential yards and boulevards. But there is no timeline on when that might be complete.
8: Council is willing to look at this issue. We do want to address food insecurity. We want people to buy things local. We want people to shop local. However, we wanted to do this very thoroughly and we didn't feel it was appropriate to keep a farm stand open that was in contravention of the bylaw while we did this review.
13: The peach salsa is amazing.
5: Little is far from the only one operating in the area and with school now out for the summer, it's expected lemonade stands will soon be popping up as well. Still, it takes a formal complaint before bylaw takes action. Neighbours here have some thoughts on that.
13: Well, I think it's bull****, and maybe the people that complain need to get a life.
5: Little is grateful for the support and friendships she's made along the way. She's now considering other options for her product, but knows nothing will stand up to the Little stand. I mean, we will go to farmers' markets, and we will take special orders from customers, but it's just not the same. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Saanich.
2: Right now, though, Burnaby RCMP are warning the public tonight about a potentially deadly situation. They've received at least two reports of vehicles where the lug nuts have been loosened.
1: Aaron MacArthur has more on why that's so dangerous and what RCMP are saying about a possible motive. It can
10: happen in the blink of an eye. A truck in the oncoming lane loses a tire. And before anyone can react... Burnaby RCMP are warning the public about the potential that someone is purposely loosening wheels from cars.
14: For the past 24 hours, um, we had received two reports from residents of Burnaby that the wheel lug nuts on their tires had been loosened.
10: Two incidents in June resulted in one cube van losing a wheel near Southwest Marine Drive in Burn, and another driver discovering his lug nuts were loosened before he got in his car. At this point, Burnaby RCMP don't know what's going on or if there are more cases to report.
14: There's no indication why somebody is doing this, whether it was an interrupted, uh, maybe somebody's trying to steal the tires and it was interrupted, or whether it's a prank, we, we don't know at this point.
10: Aside from mechanical mishaps like this one in Coquitlam, purposefully loosening lug nuts is not unheard of. In the Okanagan last month, several people complained of similar incidents of mischief.
12: This is something just to see
8: what
10: kind of destruction and mayhem you can do. No one has been hurt so far, but it is easy to see how dangerous this crime can become. Burnaby RCMP warning the public to take a close look around before they start the car. Aaron MacArthur, Global News.
1: The Emerson family in Mission got a message from their neighbor that their truck's door was open. Nothing was missing, so they checked their security camera and saw the culprit. A black bear walking up to the truck, opening the door, and checking the interior for a few seconds before wandering away. Chris Emerson says the bear left an open protein bar in the cup holder any jokes? The protein bars are apparently even too gross for bears. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Some of them are okay. Aren't Some of them they? are okay. I don't know. All right, to other controversial edibles, the Canadian government has finally bowed to growing pressure and banned the importation of a product that kills an estimated 73 million sharks every year.
1: As Linda Aylesworth reports, it's hoped Ottawa's ban on shark fins will reduce one of the world's most cruel
13: and inhumane
1: harvests.
13: In the Chinese culture, shark fin soup is considered a delicacy and a symbol of wealth. The price, as much as $100 a bowl. But its environmental cost is much higher.
6: The practice is endangering many species on the planet, so it's a real problem because we're losing top predators like sharks at at an alarming rate.
13: The practice is called finning, a harvesting technique that involves the removal of fins from living sharks, then tossing them back to die. While Canada does not allow the barbaric practice, it does allow the fins into the country. Member of Parliament Finn Donnelly first introduced a bill to stop the importation of shark fins six years ago.
6: Since I first introduced uh, a shark fin ban bill
13: back in 2013, we've lost almost a billion sharks. In frustration, people like Kendra Luco pressured their communities to ban the sale of shark fins. So I think a lot of the municipalities try to take it into their own hands and maybe show that we all support it and we all want something done. Her community of Delta only recently came on board, while many more continue to refuse to ban the unsustainable product. But now their inaction no longer matters because the federal government recently announced a countrywide ban on the import of shark fins. All those municipalities and local governments that were still fighting against it and didn't want to put anything through, they don't have a choice anymore. This amendment to the Fisheries Act means Canada will no longer be the leading importer of shark fins outside of Asia. Instead, we'll be a leader in another way.
6: Canada is the first country to ban the importation and export
4: of shark fins.
13: I don't even have the words to describe how happy I am that this went through. Like We made history yesterday, so... I hope other countries follow us. And to Aylesworth, Global News.: An Okanagan man has a survivor story
1: to tell that he hopes might save someone's life down the road.
13: He's just out of
2: hospital after an ordeal he says should serve as a reminder to everyone to watch for wildlife on BC. highways:
0: Be careful of nature. Wildlife is extremely dangerous. The fact that Jesse Boujo is alive and walking defies the odds. The Greenwood man was involved in a serious motorcycle crash involving deer a little more than two weeks ago at this very spot on Highway 33 at Rock Creek, right in front of this Watch for Wildlife sign. And within a split second, five deer jumped out onto the highway. And they occupied both the lanes and one deer landed right in front of my wheel. And he got sucked in underneath and I cut him in half and I went flying. Bougeau landed on the side of the highway. His injuries read like a grocery list. Broke my shoulder, my collarbone, shoulder blade, and three ribs, and shattered my left wrist when I hit the ground the first blow. I fractured my pelvis. Bujo has become a stat where on average more than 10,000 wildlife vehicle collisions occur every year in this province, resulting in approximately 570 personal injuries and three fatalities. That's where the skin mark came, the bike came to a stop here, just right on the edge. Bujo says he's going public to reach out to other motorcyclists. To raise awareness to other motorcycle riders to watch out for wildlife. To add insult to injury, Bougeau says he was given a speeding ticket after he was released from hospital. Why would you give someone who just about died a speeding ticket? I'm lucky to be alive. Like, mm. Sure, here's a fine for being alive. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Kelly Hayes, Global News, Rock Creek.
1: Some tense moments today after a train derails in Nevada, leaving several cars crumpled on the tracks. The biggest concern, the train's cargo. Turns
2: out it was carrying weapons, ammunition and other potentially explosive
12: substances. When emergency teams reached the wreckage, smoke and a white powder could be seen billowing from the train. Loaded with military munitions, including hand grenades and small arms, the interstate was shut down. The public ordered to stay away. More than 20 cars flew off the tracks near Elko, Nevada. Officials confirming aluminum oxide was also aboard. bore.
4: Ammunition explosives. Or
12: at the back of the train. With HAZMAT teams responding, the local sheriff says a decontamination process is underway, but there's no threat to the public. It's believed the weapons loaded onto the train were not in the cars that overturned.
15: There are protocols that the railroads follow for the proper placement of, of
12: such da- dangerous commodities. After fearing the worst, authorities shut down part of Interstate 80, not far from the city of Wells. With no confirmation on what caused the crash, tonight officials say they dodged a bullet after a train carrying high-grade weapons overturned. Miguel Almaguer, NBC News.
2: The former leader of a New York organization claiming to be a self-help group has been convicted of turning women into sex slaves. Prosecutors say the group called Nexium was more like a cult and that founder Keith Rainieri brainwashed women, branded them with his initials, and forced them to have sex with him. After a 7-week trial, a jury convicted Rainieri of racketeering, sex trafficking, child pornography, and other crimes, the jury rejecting his claims that he had no criminal intent and his encounters with the women were consensual. Over the last 7 weeks, This trial has
8: revealed that Ranieri, who portrayed himself as a savant and a genius, was in fact a master manipulator, a con man, and the crime boss of a cult-like organization involved in sex trafficking, child pornography, extortion, compelled abortions, branding, degradation, and humiliation
3: and i've been working for ten years diligently to make sure not just myself but a bunch of us to make sure that this day happened and so it's justice
1: for all of us that were duped by this this entire gang of criminals the united nations says it is now clear that journalist jamal khashoggi was assassinated and possibly tortured by Saudi Arabian officials inside the Saudi consulate in Turkey.
2: And its new report directly links the murder to a high-profile member of the Saudi royal family. A
16: United Nations report claims credible evidence links Saudi Arabia's crown prince to the death of Washington Post columnist Jamal Khashoggi.
17: The people directly implicated in the murder reported to him. So there is a reporting line here that needs to be further uh, investigated.
16: Khashoggi visited the Saudi consulate in Istanbul last year to get a marriage license, but was never seen again. It's believed he was murdered and dismembered. His body was never found. The journalist had been a prominent critic of Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, also known as MBS. The Saudis, though, have repeatedly denied the crown prince was behind the murder, instead blaming 11 rogue Saudi operators, many in MBS's inner circle.
17: What needs to be investigated is the extent to which the the crown prince knew or should have known of what would have happened to uh, Mr. Khashoggi. The
16: 101-page report calls on the U.N. to launch a criminal investigation into the 31-year-old prince and suggests sanctions on his assets abroad. Ian Lee, CBS
2: News. The pilot who became a household name for his heroic efforts to land his stricken plane in New York's Hudson River is speaking out against Boeing and the FAA.
1: Captain Sully Sullenberger is also telling the U.S. Congress what needs to happen before Boeing's troubled 737 MAX jets are allowed to fly again.
8: He may be the most trusted pilot in America. The man who saved 155 people on the Hudson River 10 years ago today took Boeing and the FAA to task for those two fatal crashes that killed 346 people
6: overseas. Our current system of aircraft design and certification has failed us. These accidents should never have happened.
8: Before last October's crash, Boeing never told pilots of a new anti-stall system called MCAS, blamed for both crashes. Now, Captain Sully, who just flew the MAX in a simulator, says pilots must have simulator training before they fly the MAX again.
16: We must experience it firsthand in the simulator before we face a crisis in flight with an airplane full of passengers and crew.
8: But Boeing has opposed mandatory simulator time, insisting a simple iPad training course will be enough. American Airlines Pilots Union says its trust in Boeing has been shaken. They let the traveling public down in a fatal and catastrophic way. Tonight, Boeing says safety is a shared priority, and we are working closely with our industry partners to learn from these tragedies, answer their questions, and take steps to re-earn people's trust. Boeing says it's still addressing FAA concerns and has not yet scheduled an FAA test flight. Meanwhile, the U.S. airlines that fly the MAX are hoping it's approved for flight by late August.
1: Canadian astronaut David Saint-Jacques is returning to Earth on Monday. During his final news conference from the International Space Station, Saint-Jacques said he's looking forward to seeing his family, but returning to Earth will be a challenge things that are kind of difficult. After six months
5: here without gravity, I, I learn how to uh, move in every direction. And technically, how it's. And, uh, I do not
1: have this sense of balance anymore. During Saint-Jacques' six-month mission, he became the first Canadian to use the Canadarm2 to make a cosmic catch of a SpaceX Dragon cargo ship.
2: The appearance of a polar bear in a Russian industrial city is being red flagged by environmentalists as another climate change warning. Residents of the Siberian city of Norilsk have been warned about the emaciated bear. The animal is far south of its normal hunting grounds and (laughs) appears to be very weak and tired. It's not afraid of people. Local officials say the last time a polar bear was seen in the area was more than 40 years ago. Environmentalists say animals are suffering from a shrinking hunting environment and receding ice as the Arctic gets warmer and some of them venture south in search of food. Local officials will decide whether they can catch the bear and airlift it back to the north as soon as possible.
1: In Health Matters tonight, Vancouver's St. Paul's Hospital is announcing a fundamental change in its treatment of cardiac patients.
2: The hospital is hoping a new procedure that's the first of its kind in Canada will save lives and reduce unnecessary hospital stays. Catherine Urquhart has the details.
14: A heart patient is tucked inside a cardiac CT at St. Paul's Hospital. The CT scan dedicated to heart patients only.
2: And when you see the scanner, what really impresses me the most is that this is at about half the size and under half the cost of a traditional high-end CT scanner, making it much more cost-effective and more available.
14: This high-tech unit was free, provided by the manufacturer in exchange for research data. Smaller and easier to use, with sharper pictures, it's able to image 25 people a day and is expected to drastically reduce wait times giving critical information to doctors and their patients.
2: For the patient, I think the richness of cardiac CT is really providing him or her with an understanding as to whether or not they have coronary artery disease. To me, I think when the patient has chest pain, that is fundamentally the question that they're asking. We haven't been able to answer it in an easy fashion historically, but now non-invasively we can. An image on the far left, which is a CT scan.
14: The machine will be part of a new standalone rapid access chest pain clinic. It's due to open next year. Catherine Cart, Global News.
2: B.C.'s seniors advocate is critical today of the Provincial Home Support Program, saying it's failing B.C. seniors.
1: Isabel McKenzie says British Columbia's Home Support Program, which is supposed to be a lifeline for seniors, allowing them to live independently in their home for as long as possible, is unaffordable for most, offers too little service and lacks qualified staff. A senior with an income of around $28,000 a year is expected to pay 40% of that a year, for a once daily home support visit. As a result, many seniors who want to and could live in the community if they had home support end up in long term care homes at a greater cost to the taxpayer.
14: I think a progressive approach, similar to what we have with Fair PharmaCare, where we say to you, we're going to make you spend 4% of your income on medications, and once you've reached that threshold, we'll pay everything else. That's very progressive. And that's significantly better than the current system, where we're going to make you spend 40% of your income on home support uh, before we make it free. And there's no cap.
2: You're watching Global News Hour at 6. After the forecast, a surprise in the surf how a close encounter with a sea lion sent this young woman to hospital.
1: But before we get to Christy, a strange meteorological phenomenon in the Okanagan. During our otherwise hot, dry June,
2: we do call it January every now and again. Parts of the Okanagan Connector blanketed with snow today, a shock for drivers, especially because we're just a couple of days from the arrival of summer. And apparently, we may not have seen the last of it. <laughs> We we'll get the latest right now from Christy Gordon on standby right now. That is crazy.
17: That is crazy. So we have a lot of instability across the province and it's these pop-up thunder showers and we've got cold air over higher terrain. So yeah, one of these cells could produce a snowfall. We saw that between about 6 and 9 a.m. this morning, but the connector wasn't the only one. We also saw snow on Big White and probably a few other mountains in the area as well. And this is the connector right now. It is clear, looks a whole bunch of better, but we've got a number of thunderstorms in the Okanagan right now. Look at the scene out there. So downpours all across the area, and these pockets are pushing towards the mountain um, uh, highways. So the areas that we'll be watching over the next couple of hours includes, by the way, the lower mainland—not for snow, but for these thunderstorms. So we are watching a number of uh, thunderstorms push down towards the Kauai, uh, potentially the connector, but more likely the Kauai and down towards Allison Pass. So these were developed through the evening hours, and as temperatures cool, it's fairly warm out there right now. But as temperatures cool, there's a slight chance we could see some snow in those areas, but for the lower main mainland, Fraser Valley, likely thunderstorms or showers as we head towards the late evening hours, potentially 10 o'clock into the overnight hours. So it could be a little exciting overnight, could be a little loud as well in through the Fraser Valley slight chance for Metro Vancouver. Now earlier today we had incredibly strong winds. It did ease in the afternoon but at one point we saw wind gusts in the 60 to 75 kilometer an hour range. About 2,000 people across lower mainland were without power still 300 right now and an number across Vancouver Island. Now tomorrow what we're watching is this band of moisture starting in the BC Peace River area extending down into the Columbia region in the morning. Then by afternoon it shifts into the Okanagan Valley and the uh, Caribou region. So this is rain as well as thunderstorms likely for that area and then we have a chance of that again tomorrow evening through the lower mainland. But it will happen earlier tomorrow. We could see it as early as about 7pm. So there's your uh, breaks of blue sky across the northwest West, but that rainfall in through these areas shifting into the afternoon across the Okanagan Valley and then by the evening for the lower mainland. So, one more unsettled day before summer returns, not well, returns after a year, I should say, but the sunshine returns just in time for summer. uh, And you'll see that on Saturday also. And I'll just leave you with one last shot of some of these incredible clouds from all these thunderstorms. This was in Oliver last night.
1: Oh, that's beautiful. Ominous and beautiful. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Thanks, Christy.
2: All right, a California teenager is recovering after her encounter with a marine mammal
1: went bad. 13-year-old Megan Panini was wading along California's Pismo Beach when a sea lion suddenly came out of the water and bit her on the leg. Other beachgoers rushed to help and the sea lion was captured. Veterinarians are treating it for a possible brain toxin, which might have caused the rare attack.
3: I felt it on my leg, and I looked down and, like, freaked out. I didn't even know what it was. All I knew was that something was, like, attacking me.
10: We believe that that was why the uh, sea lion in this uh, incident not only bit the person, but then came on land and, and bit some metal lifeguard stands. Poor thing. I know.
2: So Hopefully healthy. it gets the treatment it needs.
1: Exactly. Hmm. All right. I was going to say, are,
2: are you guys trying to tell me something?
11: Because usually when I sit here, there's nothing here. But tonight, there's a mirror.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no. <Who's> the fairest <laughs> of them all.
2: You can see yourself down there on the monitor. <laughs> and You look just fine. Hmm. Well I do have some issues.
11: Knox have another rookie of the year. Yeah, we haven't seen that since 1992. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's going back. Mm-hmm. Uh, Elias Petterson became just the second Canuck in history to be named Rookie of the Year. Pavel Burry, of course, did it many years ago. Everyone was pretty much anointing him as the top rookie in December. But he did tail off a bit in the last 20 games. And St. Louis goalie Jordan Binnington came on. But in the end, the vote wasn't close. As we said before the break, Pettersson had 88% of the first place votes. Now, the reason for that... As we said yesterday, the voting is only for the regular season. If it had included the playoffs, and Bennington might have won the Calder Trophy. But it doesn't, and he didn't. Pedersen dominated rookie scoring. He made watching the Canucks this past season a lot more fun than it would have been had he not been here.
13: And the Calder Memorial Trophy goes to
17: Elias Pedersen.
6: <laughs> Thanks to everyone who voted for me. I'm pretty sure that included Jason Bushford, who recently passed away. Uh, Jason was a great supporter of the Vancouver media and a great man. Yes. Um, I want to thank the ownership, management, and coaching staff of the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, you believed in me, and it was my goal from day one to prove you right. Uh, I want to thank the Canucks fans. Uh, you made me feel right right at home from uh, game one, and it's so much fun to play in front of such passionate fans.
11: Among the other winners tonight, and there are still awards to come, Flames defenseman Mark Giordano was named the Norris Trophy winner for best defense, and which is remarkable because he's 35, only the fourth player to win that award who has been 35 or older. Nikita. Kucherov won the Ted Lindsay Award, which is the Outstanding Player Award voted on by the players themselves. Barry Trotz has just won Coach of the Year. He won the Cup last year with Washington, left the Capitals, then went to the Islanders, revived that franchise. As we said, there are still some awards to be handed out, including the MVP award. Uh, the on-again, off-again contract talks between the Canucks and Alex Edler appear to be very much on again. The stories say the Canucks are close with Edler on a three-year deal, but if this deal goes through, one of the clauses is Vancouver can expose Alex Edler in the expansion draft when Seattle gets into the league and the expansion draft for them is held in June of 2021. Still, three years for a 33-year-old injury-plagued defenseman? I don't know. And while it's nice he can be put up in the expansion draft. One thing the Canucks cannot give this guy again is another no-trade clause. Not at that age and not with that medical history. So tomorrow, the Harry Jerome track meet will be held at Swangard Stadium. It will feature one of Canada's fastest men, and I don't mean Andre de Grasse. I mean Aaron Brown, who, unlike de Grasse, is more of a 200-meter guy than 100-meter. But he will be in the 100-meter tomorrow, which isn't too bad for him either.
7: It's a weird phenomenon. When you run your fastest, you feel the slowest. It feels really like almost time slows down and your movements feel so relaxed and easy. So when you cross the line, you're like, oh, that felt very easy and relaxed. I don't know if I was that fast. And you look at the time and it reflects you your fastest ever. And it doesn't make sense. It's almost an oxymoron, but. The more relaxed you are, the more the speed comes to you, and slower it feels. You, you really feel your movements and running through your phases and all that when, when you run your best times.
15: This season, Aaron Brown's been all about running his best times. He's already crossed the finish line first in a pair of 200-meter races, and also added a third-place
7: finish. It's why he's currently ranked the world's second fastest man in the 200 meters. My target for this year is to medal at World Championships. So whatever it takes to get that medal is what I'm going after. So, I know what it takes just based on the horizon of the rest of the field in order to be in contention. So I know it's going to be sub-20 and uh, sub-10 to get in that contention. So I know if I'm in medal contention, the times will come. Degrasse gets a pretty good start, so does Aaron Brown inside him. Kyle Groh being left a little bit.
15: When it comes to the 100 and 200 metre races, Canada has two of the best in the world. Andre Degrasse and Aaron Brown double threats when it comes to the marquee sprints. Best part, they're still in their 20s. And most sprinters don't hit their full stride until they're in their late 20s or early 30s. grass
12: second place. Very good start from Aaron Brown. DeGrasse got out of the blocks well. Aaron, from what I see, from what I know, is uh, going to perform even
1: better in the, in, the, in the 200 because he's not like as as uh, explosive from the start, but once he gets going, he has a great, uh, great finish. Brown was part of Canada's
15: 2016 Rio bronze medal winning team in the 4x100 relay. But individual gold is well within his sights. He's run sub 10 seconds in the 100 meters and has also broken the 20 second barrier in the 200 meters recently. So you're a speed guy. If you were a car, what what is that model right now in 2019 and what do you
7: want it to be come the Olympics in 2020? Ooh. Well, I'm going to go with Mercedes because that's what I drive. Um, so that's what I am now, and I will say uh, Porsche or Tesla in Olympics because uh, that's what I. Those are my dream cars. So or a Lamborghini. <laughs>
11: All right, Women's World Cup Soccer, England, Japan. Now this is a game Canada was watching closely because if Canada wins tomorrow against the Netherlands, the loser of this game will be Canada's opponent in the knockout round. So. Ellen White scores for England to give them a 1-0 lead, and then White would score again as England beats Japan 2-0. So if Canada beats the Dutch tomorrow, they'll win their group, and they would play Japan in the first knockout game for the Canadians. And can they keep Washington Nationals run. pitcher Max so Scherzer is playing tonight despite doing this down, in batting practice yesterday. <coughs> it was a bunt gone wrong. He broke his nose. <coughs> Further oh, proof oh, why the American League oh, does not make pitchers hit because sometimes so they hit themselves. But he is oh. pitching tonight and pitching rather and well for Washington. Yikes. <laughs> see, if
2: he looked at this, he wouldn't look the same. Our last story tonight starts with a Minnesota mother who never forgot the first responder who came to her rescue when her daughter was having
1: a seizure. Three years and one transplant surgery later, she's more than paid him back for his help.
18: Have you heard the one about the angel who walked into a bar? So you were wearing this behind the bar? Yeah. That's how Bill Cox describes what happened to him when he needed a kidney transplant. And Becca Bundy showed up at the Viking Bar in the remote Iron Range of Northern Minnesota.
3: You know, he had his shirt on that said that he was in need of a kidney. And what sparked the interest was that he had his blood type on his shirt. I knew that my blood type matched his.
18: Do you think it was destiny? I think so. Beck had seen Bill before because Bill is also a volunteer firefighter and was the first to arrive after she dialed 911 one night when daughter Hadley was seriously ill. Becca always wanted to pay it back. This was her chance. Hi Bill. Doing okay. The kidney transplant went ever so smoothly. Gotcha. Nowadays, everyone's family. You call him Bill?
3: Yeah. I just feel really blessed um, to be chosen to be on his journey. He's given me and my family so much.
18: Likewise for Bill. So he carved Becca a wooden angel. She saved my life. Mm -hmm. You find it odd that all these angels are hanging around a bar?
3: (laughs) I don't think it's odd. I think angels are everywhere.
18: Okay. We can all raise a glass to that. Kevin Tibbles, NBC
1: News, Bear Lake, Minnesota.
2: Oh, good. Great Wrap story. it up with a hug, yeah, for sure.
1: All right. final word on the weather and windy out there, Christy.
17: Yes, not as bad now. I think the thing you need to watch out for this evening is thunderstorms, especially for those of you out in the Fraser Valley or if you're traveling east of Hope. Uh, tomorrow it'll settle down in the morning, but then we have a chance of showers, possible thunderstorms again tomorrow evening.
2: Last full day of spring That's right. tomorrow. And then Ooh. summer. Alright, thanks very much for watching.